This week on the Golf Digest podcast, we are talking about the amazing story of how Golf Digest helped free a man from prison. All coming up next on the Golf Digest podcast. Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast. This is Sam Wyman. I'm joined by Keely Levins. And a couple days ago, we sat down for a podcast and we said, well, this is a little bit different than uh, the usual fare. Now, this story is really different than anything we've done before. And it's, I would say, in the time I've been at Golf Digest, the most amazing story that um, we've ever done. And the credit goes squarely to one man, although other people were involved as well. And that's Max Adler, our editorial director. And it's the story of... Valentino Dixon, who is uh, was convicted of murder, was in jail uh, for 27 years, and had reached out to Max because he drew golf courses. Mm-hmm. And along the way, Max had looked into Valentino Dixon's case and why he was in jail in the first place for murder, and started to poke holes in it. We're going to let Max tell that story because it's remarkable in itself. But Keely, you know, you've been here less time than I have, so you were just saying before that some of this you didn't even know I didn't even know about this yeah this I mean I knew about the story but the intricacies of like Max's involvement I I didn't I had no idea I mean I was in college still when Max did all of this and it's you know sometimes I think it's easy to fall into like oh like you know we're sports writers Mm -hmm. we're we're writing about athletes and what we do is obviously important but um to actually change the course of someone's life, yeah. like the the gravity of this, it's just it's overwhelming and it's it's so incredible. Yeah, it renders everything to some extent insignificant, uh, yeah. which is not to say it is because we obviously love what we do and we love golf. Um, but like you said, when we're talking about something that actually has an impact on someone living freely or not, it's amazing. And I will say is that when Max was pursuing the story, because I was here, and it quickly crossed the line between from a golf story had a very thin connection to golf to this story about a person it's like well is this golf digest story to tell and to max's credit he realized that this he was the guy to tell it because no one else was Mm -hmm. and he looked into it and and it's amazing i think um you know he's he we got him to sit down with us for a little while but he's had a crazy day because um just every media outlet in the world wants to tell the story because it's almost too remarkable to be true yeah for once you know he's always the storyteller and now he's become the story and it's it's really cool he's so humble about all of it but it's great to see that other people are you know realizing how important what he did is yeah well it's really cool so without further ado let's go to that interview with golf digest editorial director max adler now This interview is brought to you by Golf Digest Schools. Golf Digest Schools is our new cutting-edge video instruction platform offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in golf, from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. Unlike the quick tips you can find across the Internet, these are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix. But even better because there's the added promise of feedback. Plus, it's golf. It's more exciting. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools, go to golfdigest.com backslash all access and use promo code schools to get 30% off an annual subscription. Again, golfdigest.com backslash all access and use promo code schools. Okay, we are pleased to join our colleague, 
Max Adler. Usually, it's not a big deal to get Max to talk to us, but this is a, a different day than most. He's been running ragged, talking to tons of news outlets, and rightfully so. So, Max, um, most of us have had stories that we're proud of, but none have had the profound effect that you've had on someone's life, like with Valentino Dixon. So let's start at the very beginning and how Valentino Dixon came into your life. Uh, yeah, so it was about six years ago. Uh, we were in the Wilton office. I rolled in one day and saw this little plain white letter envelope uh, postmarked from Attica Correctional Facility, and I just had zero idea what it was or who it was from, and I opened it, and inside was this beautiful, tiny little golf drawing, and with it, a handwritten three-page letter from Valentino Dixon telling me that he was an inmate at Attica, he loved to draw golf course pictures, and in using Golf Digest as reference material, he actually had started reading the magazine and came across uh, this column I used to write called Golf Saved My Life, mm -hmm. and that really resonated with him. And he, he wrote to tell me about himself and mm -hmm. his art and also his, uh, his innocence. Right. I mean, the, the column Golf Saved My Life uh, was designed or, or was constructed mostly from a figurative sense, the ways that golf people could use the game to overcome some type of adversity or um, deal with a difficult period in their life. And there was some, I mean, it was a, a great series and a ton of really compelling stories. You know, normally it's not your job to sort of question the validity of the story or question how someone ends up in jail. So at what point do you go from telling the story of a guy and how he has used golf to starting to ask, why are you in jail in the first place? And, and is it right that you're in jail in the first place? Well, I, I would say even though it's the golf space we're dealing in, um, it totally was part of my habit to question the validity of people's claims because they would, they've had some pretty wild and outlandish ways golf did save their life. And you're dealing with people who aren't necessarily public figures. So you really do have to kind sure. of look into their backstories. Um, and so, yeah, while I was instantly fascinated by the way art could be a source of salvation and, you know, golf arts specifically, you know, I had to look into his claims of innocence to have a further sense of appreciation sure. for his character. Um, and I constantly can't remember the exact beginning, but I tried to dig into it. And I don't have a legal background, right. but Valentino had some paperwork. I was able to get some paperwork from the Erie County you know, courthouse of what was available, transcripts, motions, appeals. And it's amazing what can generate from one case. Sure. I mean, like, 10,000 pages. And uh, I slowly began to kind of wade my way into it. How early on was it that he told you about his innocence? Was it in that first letter? I believe it was in that first letter. Uh, yes. How, like, because I feel like everyone in jail probably says that they're innocent. Like, did you kind of feel that like okay he's just saying this or did you immediately feel like oh there's something valid here like I want to dig deeper into this I definitely did not immediately feel there was something okay. valid. I kind of you know got the idea that I think I had seen it in Shawshank Redemption right you know, right like the famous well, innocent, line right. yeah everyone in here is innocent uh and so I kind of appreciated that I sort of that's how I thought of it mm -hmm. but I thought nevertheless his art is visually amazing. I want to learn more about this. Um, and so it was only 
after the fact that I started to sense that there had been a great miscarriage of justice. Right, and to to clarify, of course, we all question the validity of of stories that we hear, and we also question the people that we want to champion. So, which is to say, here's a guy who drew beautiful pictures, but if you discover that he was a convicted murderer and possibly was extreme, you know, was definitely guilty, maybe we don't, maybe he's not someone we would celebrate in the same way. But like you said, part of what made him compelling was the fact that obviously a talented artist and found golf in a, a unique way, but also was possibly deserving of a closer look and deserving of sympathy. And so you forged this connection with him. So tell me about your interactions with him from that point on. Uh, I think I've kept all of them, but we we had a lot of letters. He wrote a lot more letters to me than mm-hmm. I did to him. Uh, but we had a lot of phone conversations, and I went up to Attica uh, a couple of times to visit him uh, with video recording equipment, which took a, a lot of navigating mm-hmm. the the bureaucracy and administration of Attica, which was like, right. felt like little victories themselves getting to bring a tape recorder into there. Um, and so there was that. And then he gave me all the leads of, of people who were there that night in August when the murder occurred. And I tried to track down these people as best I could and was assisted by, you know, various figures in the Buffalo area, like a private investigator who had worked on the case a dozen years ago. Um, you know, an attorney who had worked on one of the appeals 15 years prior. So you're kind of going in and prying open the past and you're meeting some people who are happy to help you and some right. people who aren't. So it was it was a journey. Right. I can't. Sorry, you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask what it was like going into a prison. I assume you'd never been in a prison. Well, that's not, but, that's well, one part of Max's story you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go in and like the first room it feels like the dmv oh nice you know okay. you're like All this right. is kind of dreary things yeah. seem to move slowly here there's <laughs> a line and then once you get through security it quickly changes and it is attica was built in like the 30s uh kind of part of a pwa project i believe and i mean it looks and feels like a dungeon i remember going down this long windowless hallway and even though you know with all rationality i'm safe i'm a journalist i'm just going there sure um it almost it feels like you're not coming out it's really very eerie yeah Yeah. that it sounds terrifying what's amazing to also appreciate is the fact that here you are digging into a murder case going through all these legal documents talking and visiting with a man who's in prison whose life hangs on the balance. And meanwhile, you're writing the Jack Nicholas instruction tip. And, <laughs> and, and, and what, I mean, this is not what, I mean, never mind, this is not what you do. This is, you know, very few people do this, but it's also not the normal work of a golf writer. So, but at some point you recognize this, this shit's important. Um, and so when, when do you realize that, again, that, you know, this is going to take up an inordinate amount of time, and it's a little bit different from your day job, but it's entirely worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I had great support from my fellow editors, uh, you know, Mike O'Malley, Alan Pittman, others who kind of spurred me on as, as I told them about more and more about the story. Um, so I felt like I had the support of my staff to kind of keep digging, even if it was maybe even taking away from my other responsibilities at times. Um, 
but yeah, like you said, you got to compartmentalize. It's <laughs> it's slice tips in the morning and then uh, you know, Attica in the Attica afternoon. In the afternoon. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How so, long? Because this was all before I even started working here. So this has been a cool couple of days for me. Just like, oh wow, I didn't even know this happened. Um, how long were you working on on this project? Yeah, a little bit longer than the normal monthly cycle. Yeah. I I don't exactly remember, and I should go like check the date of the letter. But I remember it was cold and gray when I went to go visit him in Attica. So that had to be probably like November 2011 because I know our article came out in the July issue of 2012 okay. mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure I spent something like six or seven months uh, wow. working on it so and then you've had like you said you've had interactions with Valentino throughout the time and you, there'd be uh, advancements in his case and then obviously setbacks in his case and so talk us through the most recent developments and what what caused it to turn a corner? Yeah, so I you know kind of remained an advocate at, at whatever level I could, you know, writing letters to the attorney general or the governor whenever, whenever it seemed like there was an opening, and, and never really getting much of a response. So it was dispiriting. Last fall, uh, his attorneys Don Thompson and Alan Rosenthal uh, put together a joint petition for his clemency or a pardon, which in legal terms is like forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not you, innocence you, right. like he gained yesterday. And they were kind of positive about this, and I uh, wrote um, part of the petition to kind of help, and he, they said, oh, we might hear around Christmas time. And then when nothing, there was crickets from the governor's office, I remember thinking, God, we're five years into this. I pretty much kind of lost all hope. I remember kind of just having that in my interior mind, like this probably isn't going to happen. And then you heard from them. We got an email last week. Yeah. Uh, well, more importantly, I think it was in March. Uh, the Georgetown Prison Reform Project um, reached out to me. Uh, some students there are taking this very special class where they look at a few potential wrongful conviction cases and study them and and become advocates actively for them. And so I had some long talks with these students who were working on this case and, you know, kind of told them good luck and (laughs) helped them as much as I could. And uh, they did a great job. They got the prosecuting attorney, Christopher Belling, to kind of say something that was a great, you know, a, a terrible thing for his case. He, they, it was at variance with what he had said before about there being negative results to this gunpowder residue test on Valentino when way back in the trial he had said there had not been a test. And so that small difference in meeting uh, was a this thing called a Brady violation, which I learned about. And so that was an important turn. Um, as well as the former district attorney getting unseated and there being new blood in Erie County. So a lot of great things came together. Uh, it was sort of a cumulative effort of a lot of people. But, yeah, then we got the email last week saying things were probably going to happen. And the amazing thing that I saw, um, I'm sure you felt the same way, Keely, is when you see Valentino, it would be so easily, even on this really joyous day, for him to be a really bitter guy. And it doesn't strike me as that. Just, I mean, I'm just curious – what kind of guy is he? You know, what, what what's your what impressions do you have of him as a person? He is utterly 
positive and charismatic, engaging, uh, amazing strength to not be broken, as you suggest. And I really think this isn't such a great statement. That's part of the reason why he was exonerated. You know, his winning personality probably encouraged me to be more interested in him than I otherwise would. It encouraged the kids from Georgetown. It encouraged, you know, other people who have looked into his case to maybe be more excited about helping him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great guy. And then describe yesterday, which we're, just, we're recording this on Thursday. So this is Wednesday, the day he actually walked out. So describe sort of your day and your interactions with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I flew to Buffalo in the morning from LaGuardia, uh, went to the hearing. It was pretty banal, formulaic process for what was going down. Uh, Lamar Scott comes in and confesses to this murder formally, which he had been confessing to for years and years mm -hmm. and years. Uh, so he is charged with that, therefore clearing the plate for Valentino to be exonerated. And that all wraps up in about 45 minutes. Uh, zero emotion from the judge. You know, like that this was a sort of momentous movement. It was just like it was like they were dealing with a parking ticket. So it was that's kind of disgusting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we wait for Valentino to come out the courthouse doors. And there are lots of press and cameras there. His family waiting to see him. And then he comes out and. He embraces his mother, who's such a sweet lady. I love y'all. Roxanne! Oh, Jerry, come on, yo. Hey, Margo. Can you do me a favor? It feels great. It feels great, I know it does. He does press for about a half hour, and then uh, we kind of retired away. Uh, his team, which is sort of the Georgetown University uh, professors and students, myself, and his two attorneys, and we kind of had our own little separate celebration uh, slash powwow in a, in a legal building. And then we went to Red Lobster. And you went to, as everyone does, you go to Red yeah, Lobster. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's amazing. He was and asking me, have you had these cheddar biscuits from Red Lobster? And uh, Valentino said that? Yeah. And I, and I felt bad. I said, I, I hadn't. And he said, how could you not have had these cheddar biscuits? These are what everybody's talking about. And uh, I, I said, my wife didn't like Red Lobster. So he, he bought that. But... Um, it was it was a great day. And what's next for him? You know, it's been a whirlwind of media for him. I mean, this is a huge it's become an international story that someone has had their murder vacated after three decades. Right, and, I did Irish TV seeks, today. I'm taking yeah. credit for your work. That was amazing. <laughs> amazing. He you know, he wants to be an artist, but he also wants to be an advocate for the other wrongfully convicted people. And so I think he's quite genuine in using this this swell of media around him uh, to do good for people who are like him. And any any possibility of golf in his future? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was five or six years ago when, you know, Valentino and I, I, I said to him, you know, when you get out, we're going to go tee it up and I'm going to bring you to a golf course. Right because you've never set foot on one, yet you've spent tens of thousands of hours drawing them, and it's going to be a great yeah, moment. It's incredible. Yeah. That's the one thing we glossed over is that he was drawn to golf because the warden asked him to paint this picture of— To draw. To, to yeah. draw, sorry. 
a twelfth hole at Augusta, right? So something about the game resonated with him on some deeper level. It did, yeah. So it was initially a drawing as a favor to the warden because if you're that's what you do, that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, so I think there were two elements. It was you know the configurations of grass, sky, trees, water. It's it's tranquil, mm-hmm. but also as an artist, like if you don't have anything to look at. That's a neat thing because there are these kind of endless permutations of bunkers and contours and trees where you can kind of like make up your own golf holes, which is essentially what he did at it with his imagination. Uh, And then I think another element was there were friends of his who said like, oh, these golf course drawings, like you can make some money with that. You know, golfers are rich. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, as opposed to drawing, you know, pictures of ladies or tigers or something. Sure. Um, so I think those were, but he he said to me, he said, you know, years afterward, you know, the guys make fun of me for drawing this golf stuff. They don't understand why I do it, but my love for this game is genuine. Like my spirit is just attuned to it, and uh, I think I think he's excited to play. And he was selling them, right? Like his daughter was selling them to help pay for yeah. legal fees. His daughter Valentina is she's amazing. She uh she's a school teacher. She was 4 months old when he first mm-hmm. went to prison and she loves her dad and like really did a pretty unbelievable grassroots like social media campaign selling his prints, his work to kind of raise some money for his legal fees. So like she's awesome. Yeah. He was saying that um he'd been drawing for like 10 hours a day. Is that so basically his entire day he just filled with painting golf courses? Or uh, sorry, drawing. Yeah, you're not allowed to have paints inside Attica. That's okay, the, sorry. That's the technicality. No, no worries. <laughs> I mean I th- yeah, I think he also I mean, I don't think he gets to sleep that well in Attica. I know he hasn't had a pillow. Um, you know, life is gruesome in there. So I think he had a job cutting hair of other inmates, being a barber. They put you to work a little bit, um, but yeah, it's a lot of just time in your cell. And so, if he has ten hours in his cell, that's that's what he did. Incredible. He also worked out a bit. He he kept. He fit. looks jacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna. I think he's gonna have good club head speed. <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> well, I mean, it's amazing. I hope uh, that you one day do a story that will top this. But if you don't, I think you pretty pretty much top us all, regardless. So, I mean, you've handled it in a really humble way. But it's yeah, it's the most amazing story to come out of here. I think it's it is comical, kind of how. Every news outlet that has picked this up has said, Golf Digest did <laughs> right. this. So we're like, oh, yeah, it was all <laughs> of us. Right. <laughs> like, right. no, it was all Max. <laughs> so congrats, and thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks, guys. So this right here is a, a, a big step in social change, social justice, you know, and I'm going to thank Max. Thank you, Tim. You're the toughest guy I know, <laughs> toughest golfer I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any more questions? Will Mrs. you continue Dixon? your artwork? Huh. Will you continue your artwork? I'm going to continue the artwork. I'm used to drawing for like 10 hours a day, so I'm eager to get back. I got My mother bought me a big easel, and I'm used to drawing on a small board. Okay, and she bought me a big easel, and I can't wait to use it. Thanks again to Max Adler for joining us on this week's Golf Digest podcast. Again, if you haven't done so already and you want to know more about Valentino Dixon and his story and see some of the artwork, 
um, that he's done over the years while in prison. You can go to GolfDigest.com. It's all there. Kelly Levins, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back next week. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts.